I would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. All opinions and discussions on the podcast are purely individual experience, so please consult a doctor or medical professional for more information. Welcome to the Shake It Up Show, a podcast in partnership with Shake It Up Australia Foundation for Parkinson's Research, where we speak to people whose lives have been impacted by Parkinson's disease and hear their stories. My name is Amy Louise Ruffle. I'm an actor, comedian, podcaster, and most importantly, a proud Shake It Up Australia ambassador in support of my dad who lives with Parkinson's. I am very excited about this week's guest. And perhaps a little intimidated by her bio, as it's incredibly impressive. She is a fellow of the Australian Academy of Health and Medical Sciences and serves on the Council of National Health and Medical Research Council. She also holds leadership roles at Movement Disorder Society of Australia and New Zealand, International Parkinson's Disease and Movement Disorder Society, the Mito Foundation of Australia, oh, and Australia, I can't even read all the things, and Australian Mitochondrial Disease Medical Network. And in 2019, Carolyn was awarded a member of the Order of Australia in recognition of her significant services to medicine. So look, that's a lot of pretty extraordinary titles. And like I said, I couldn't even get through just reading them out. So I'm looking forward to finding out what her connection to Shake It Up Australia Foundation is. Please welcome Professor Carolyn Sue. Thanks, Amy. It's lovely to be here. Nice to see you and listen to all of your your, uh, podcasts. Well, we're very grateful to have you on and I can't wait to try and fumble my way through some of the uh, incredible stuff you guys are doing. So my understanding is that you're working on Nick's gene therapy research. So for those of us who don't understand, what is this project? Well, it's a way that we can help patients with Parkinson's disease slow the progression of the disease. At the moment, we're, we're doing preclinical work. In other words, we're trying to develop a treatment. Um, but what we discovered in the laboratory, based on our observations from some of our patients, is that um, if we uh, provide energy to the brain cells that are affected in Parkinson's disease and allow it to um, and allow it a, a and to provide it with a renewable source of energy, then those brain cells can last for longer. Um, And of course, with Parkinson's disease, it's a neurodegenerative disease. In other words, the brain cells that are affected in Parkinson's disease slowly degenerate despite the treatments that patients are getting. We call this a degenerative disease. Um, You know, aging itself is a degenerative disease, but with Parkinson's disease, the brain cells, uh, particularly those that uh, require dopamine, the neurotransmitter that allows that type of neuron to work, are affected. And this treatment is looking at a way to provide more energy to those cells that are degenerating and to prevent them from dying. So the energy provided to the cells, that slows the process of the degeneration or just makes them more effective in the meantime? That's both, actually. So, um, you know, if you, I like to think of it like if you have a laptop computer or a phone. Um, so, you know, the, the phone and the and the laptop, the computer work well when they're um, they're attached to their energy source, or if they have a mobile energy source. And when we char- recharge them, you know, after the battery starts being used for a while, um, you know, we all know that they stop working. Um, you know, if they're not plugged into the PowerPoint, or if it's or if if your battery's not charged on your phone, they stop working. But if you recharge the battery. 
uh, then, you know, the phone starts working again. Well, as it turns out, neurons are no different to that. Brain cells, you know, they they require their energy to work. And in fact, you know, we all know from um, from medicine that, you know, if you stop the supply of energy for even minutes, then, you know, they start to degenerate. Of course, that doesn't happen um, except in, you know, medical emergencies like cardiac arrest. But in terms of degenerative disease, the batteries of the cell, um, we call them mitochondria, um, but the batteries of the cell slowly lose their charge and therefore they lose their capacity to provide those vital amounts of energy that keep the cell from working properly. So um, this method really looks at trying to provide a, a new way for those, those batteries, those um, neuronal batteries to recharge themselves and provide that energy, uh, which is one of the problems in Parkinson's. So does that mean that this could apply to other degenerative um, disorders or just specifically to Parkinson's? Look, it could actually apply to other diseases. Um, we've um, The reason why we're focusing on Parkinson's disease is because um, we think, first of all, that mitochondrial function or this loss of energy production is one of the pivotal um, problems that occurs in Parkinson's disease. We know that because if you poison the mitochondria, and there are data um, that have been discovered, you know, uh, way back in the 80s, uh, whereby, you know, pa patients were exposed to um, pesticides, which happened to poison the mitochondria function. Um, and that led to an increased um, cause of, of Parkinson's disease. Um, we know that there are stories um, out there where, um, you know, there was a group of, of uh, people who were called the frozen addicts, Basically, they uh, mistakenly injected themselves with a, t a, a poison that uh, stopped the mitochondrial function from working, and they developed Parkinson's disease. So um, that was a pivotal study back in the 1980s. Um, so we know that mitochondrial function is really important for um, uh, in the process of, um, of Parkinson's disease treatments, uh, development. So... Um, so that's that's one right reason, and the other reason is really because we know that genes um, that can be um, mutated um, uh, in 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 life can cause Parkinson's disease. One of the you know, it's a it's a rarer cause of Parkinson's disease to get it from genetic mutations, but um, nevertheless, uh, by uh, studying those patients, because at the end of the day, I study neurogenetics. Um, we can understand what goes wrong in patients in those patients with Parkinson's disease and therefore understand how the commoner forms of Parkinson's disease occur. So um, we were lucky we studied a patient with Parkinson's gene mutations which affect mitochondrial function. That we studied patient cells, for example, from, you know, patients kindly volunteer their, um, their uh, samples. Uh, for us to study in the laboratory. And we know that the mitochondrial function is reduced. And so by replenishing this mitochondrial function, in other words, recharging the batteries of those, those cells, we can actually restore that function and prevent the cells from dying so early. Gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> well, it's a lot of fun to, um, to partner with patients who um, really contribute to uh, the, the work that we're doing. And, um, and really, you know, it's a it's a it's a joint sort of effort um, because without the generosity of patients volunteering or donating this their material, um, you know, we find it, you know, it's hard to actually um, study these things that are relevant to other human problems. 
Um, of course, there are animal models and other cellular models, but they don't really, what we're looking at trying to do is help humans with or patients with, with Parkinson's disease rather than the animals that might simulate that sort of disorder. So yeah, we're very, very grateful to um, patients who who are comfortable and willing to, you know, donate a blood sample or a um, or a skin sample or some other material so that we can get on with our studies. So you mentioned that there there's these two different ways you can get Parkinson's, the gene mutation or maybe I'm going to say this wrong, but like the poisoning of the um, mitochondria. So you can tell that. And then what is one you said is a lot rarer. So how few people are affected by the gene version? Yeah, they, I mean, there's uh, they, about 10% of people maybe are affected by gene mutations, or so it's hard to tell um, because we haven't um, really done, or the world hasn't done large genetic studies to actually understand what percentage, what precise percentage. And of course, new genes are being discovered every day um, or every month at least. So so it, it's hard to say exactly, but, you know, about 10% of people, maybe up to 30% in different types of, depending on how you how you define Parkinson's disease what age of onset you look at can cause it. But there are many ways that you can develop Parkinson's disease. But the most common way is actually by um, by aging. So everybody's aging, um, and so we're all at risk. And, um, and essentially aging is the greatest risk factor for developing Parkinson's disease in the community. The alternative is not so good, so, but, you know, so you shouldn't stop doing it. But, uh, but essentially... <laughs> You know, you, you, you aging, um, and this is really linked to a loss of mitochondrial function, or um, you know, this loss of energy production. We all know, for those of us that are aging, and I include myself in this, that you know, you don't have the same energy levels that you do when you're in your twenties, your thirties, your forties. If you you know, if you approach fifties, sixties, seventies, you know, eighties, you know, the the um, your energy levels do tend to decline as a as part of a, a natural. Uh, history uh, or process and so with this loss of energy production and this ability of your cells to produce mitochondrial energy um, then you know that creates extra risk for developing diseases like Parkinson's disease clearly not the only factor but it is a big risk factor it's such a shame because aging has so many risks associated with it but the alternative to aging is pretty permanent and grim too so I guess best to both worlds we'll keep doing it um so how did you you come to be working on this project specifically um again inspired from some of our patients to be honest with you um so we were studying um the genes that cause Parkinson's disease you know, I, I have, you know, I, I like to, uh, you know, my brain works that I can, un, you know, like to look at genes and understand what they do. Um, and um, of course, uh, this were, these genes were affecting patients with Parkinson's disease, which happened to be a disorder that I was particularly uh, trained to care for. And so really as part of that care process of, um, you know, from my, in my clinics, part of the way that I like to uh, care for my for the patients and also uh, give them hope is to actually understand what's happening to the patients themselves and also wait, try and develop ways to treat or uh, improve their their um, their journey with their, their illness so we we were studying patients with uh, Parkinson's disease particularly those with genetic forms of Parkinson's disease and uh, we're learning about how the genes um, cause Parkinson's disease. And we we were looking particularly at energy function because I'm particularly interested in mitochondria. My PhD was in mitochondrial genetics. 
and by looking at uh, these uh, these functions uh, of the genes, we we stumbled across this method by which um, we get, gained an understanding about how the mitochondria could be recycled um, and uh, renewed, and then provide uh, new energy for um, for patients or the cells of the patients with Parkinson's disease. And then we just had a uh, one of those eureka moments, I've got to say, where we were lucky. We were looking at um, how the effects of one gene that uh, was uh, was causing Parkinson's disease, and then found a patient, in fact, a patient's relative, who um, was providing an alternative method of this uh, renewable energy source provision. So, um, and she was using. We, through a whole series of experiments, we found out that the um, the patient's mother was overexpressing um, this protein called Nix, which is a, a an interesting protein in that it um, is it, it it's located on the mitochondrial membrane, and it allows and helps or provides a different an alternative way for the mitochondria to recycle itself. So what it happens is that. Um, under normal quality control symptoms, uh, situations, I should say, under normal quality control situations, mitochondria recycle themselves. They just take themselves for uh, as being damaged and um, are, are sort of broken down um, in, as a usual recycling process, um, as you can imagine, break down into its components and build new ones. And uh, that's usually controlled by genes that are known to be to cause Parkinson's disease when the genes are mutated, that recycling process is impaired. But this family member happened to be providing herself with a different way of recycling the mitochondria. And fortunately, those secrets were revealed with our experiments uh, when we started um, studying her cells. Um, we applied this approach to her daughter's cells um, and many other patients with Parkinson's disease, and it seemed to work. So now we're we're taking the next step, which is to insert this approach into a gene therapy, build a gene therapy that will provide this in a safe and effective manner to the cells uh, and neurons in Parkinson's disease, and then hopefully bring it to in-human clinical trials in the next few years. So what is it like as a team when you have one of those eureka moments? <laughs> well, it's pretty fun. I mean, of course, uh, you know, you, you, you know, it's a, it's a, you build up a body of evidence. So, of course, when you make these discoveries, you then have to prove that it's robust. So, first of all, you have to make sure that it's exactly what you found, thought it was in the first place because, um, you know, we, so that requires replication of a series of experiments. And then you do a whole series of experiments to show that it really is specific to your observation. Um, and um, and that's what we did as well. But, um, you know, it was it was very exciting to um, you know be in the laboratory around that time and uh, one of the joys I have also is because you know go back to the the patients that uh, were involved in this study and I have the privilege of telling the results of our work which can hopefully help be be uh, developed to help their, those patients themselves so um, that's a real a real privilege that we have and uh, one of the big more more pl uh, pleasant aspects of my of my job during the day. I imagine there's lots of days where you probably don't have those moments and you feel like you're hitting your head against a wall or not making that progress. So when you finally get those moments, it must be such a delight. 
Yes, no, I think it is. Look, I'm, we're hoping that it really is going to make a big impact on patients with Parkinson's disease. But, the, you know, we're, so we're super excited. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the team is super excited about it all. Um, and hopefully um, and hopefully we can uh, bring this um, safely to uh, patients with Parkinson's disease. I've got to say, you know, Shake It Up Australia, Michael J. Fox um, Foundations have both been super supportive for, um, for this, um, in supporting this research. And, uh, you know, we're very, very grateful for their support um, because without that practical support, um, you know, we couldn't accelerate this process to for bringing these results to, um, to hopefully patients in Australia and possibly the world. Well, that's a good time to ask. So you, the institute you're working at is Neura in New South Wales. So how, what is the connection between Neura and Shake It Up Australia Foundation and the Michael J. Fox Foundation? How is it all interlinked? Oh, look, I think um, they've, uh, so Neuro, Neuro is a short name for Neuroscience Research Australia, which is a medical research institute that's been focused on neuroscience, neuroscience research. And, you know, it was established over 30 years ago. And I believe that uh, Shake It Up Australia and Michael J. Fox had um, connections uh, with Neuro prior to me arriving. So this is longstanding, well before before I came on the scene. And so, um, you know, it's that sort of level of support um, for neuroscience research that Shake It Up Australia and Michael J. Fox Foundations have been providing to, um, you know, medical research and, and particularly in Parkinson's disease. My role is actually to um, investigate and uh, to develop treatments for Parkinson's disease in my, my new role as a Kinghorn Chair of Neurodegeneration, which uh, is a partnership between the Kinghorn Foundation and Neuroscience Research Australia. And so there you can see that, um, you know, uh, there's a big team of people um, and a great network of support that is being developed by uh, each of these stakeholders and organisations um, so that we can, again, try and do what I'm, I'm, I'm dedicated to do as a clinician scientist, to develop, to understand the problems of the patients, to care for them, and then to develop treatments so that we can improve uh, their journey with their illness uh, through life. So it sounds like for it, people listening that have perhaps donated to a Shake It Up Australia Foundation fundraiser in the past, this is exactly where their fundraising money is going. It's two trials like this that's going to have those direct benefits to people living with Parkinson's disease. That's right. Yeah. No, and so a big shout out to any of those people who have supported Shake It Up. Thank you very much. Um, because it's, uh, you know, I feel like I'm the, uh, d- the direct beneficiary of, um, you know, that sort of funding support. And, uh, you know, my team um, is here, um, you know, going through the process of um, undertaking this research so that we can, again, do what uh, we've been enabled to do, which is to develop this new next gene therapy treatment. So you mentioned, um, my understanding, that the observation part is sort of done and you're now up to trying to find a way for this to be safely implemented. Is that right, where you're up to in this project? Yeah, building building a gene therapy is... um, I always think it's a bit like Lego. You have to put in the right components so that you get the right effect and hopefully you have this nice, uh, you know, effective treatment built at the end of the day. So we need to do the testing and, be, you know, make sure that we're responsible at um, trying to get an effective as well as a safe product that can be utilised in in clinical um, service. So, you know, as a patient, as a, as a clinician looking after patients with Parkinson's disease, you know, the first thing is that I want to keep them safe 
and well. And so, uh, you know, this is a responsibility that we need to to have. Um, so the experiments that we um, that we are undertaking now that have been funded by Shake It Up Australia have uh, are really to look at uh, trying to develop the most effective way that we can um, provide this approach, this therapeutic approach, and then make it as safe as possible. And of course, then there's all of these regulatory standards that we need to meet as we build the therapy um, so that, uh, you know, it's going to be as safe as we can make it before we get it into in human clinical trials. It's, it's a little bit of a journey, but, uh, you know, again, accelerated by um, this, this funding that we've received. So it might be a, a horrible question to ask someone in your position, but if all goes well and um, the trials are, are progressing, what type of time frame could this be something that people could be receiving treatment? Yeah, we, we estimate that it's going to take about um, two years to build a, uh, and evaluate the gene therapy. And, um, and then it needs to undergo um, the regulatory testing that's required by um, entities like uh, the TGA or the FDA. So it depends on, on the results as to, to give you more specific times and we, we need to sort of um, go along that journey. But hopefully, you know, we're looking at, um, yes, I would dearly love to be able to do the clinical trial while I'm still um, practicing, you know, at Neuro in the, in, you know, in the near future. I'd start it tomorrow if I could. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but we just have to make, you know, we have to be responsible and make sure that we, we get the best and the safest product available that, that we can develop in this, in, in 2023, 24. Absolutely. And you're clearly very passionate about what you do. What is it that you love so much about the research you're working on? And I guess the team that you're doing it with? Oh, look, I think it's just, it, it's, it's solving problems that affect the patients that I, that I care for um, and trying to make a big impact. So we, you know, on, on their lives, you know, we know that patients with Parkinson's disease really have day-to-day challenges and they suffer, suffer, you know, they, you know, they're, they're, they, you know, they're really dignified in the way that they handle this disorder. And of course, we're very good at, um, at providing symptomatic treatments, um, which is why, you know, they need to, um, patients with Parkinson's need to come to clinic um, so that they can be managed um, optimally and make sure that the impacts of the illness is, um, is minimised. Um, but of course, you know, symptomatic treatment is one thing we don't actually, at the moment, we can't stop the disease process, which continues. And as we age, and everybody's aging at the same rate, but patients with Parkinson's disease, you know, happen to have this degenerative condition on the top of that process, and it impacts on their lifestyle. And so seeing patients, you know, suffer th- those those challenges or address those challenges, um, and then giving them hope that not only their, um, the information that they give us and the work that they do with us in partnership and seeing that that can be developed into treatment that could actually really improve their life is something that really motivates us and, um, and, and, and it gives us a sense of purpose. So I think that's always something that uh, motivates, motivates us. And I've got to say it motivates our team to do, to do such work because it's hard work. It's long. It takes it takes many hours to undertake these experiments, um, and a whole team of people to do so. But you know, it's we can see um, that it's for a, a purpose whereby um, you know we can actually change lives of patients, of the uh, people that come to our clinics and the, the ones that we serve. Well, it's extraordinary work. We're so lucky that there's teams of people like you that are working day in day out to try and. 
um, stop and even prevent Parkinson's from occurring. So thank you for the work that you do and thank you for explaining it to the layman's like me. I think you did a great job of making that pretty understandable. You mentioned Lego. I love Lego. So it was a good time, but it's amazing work that you're doing. Uh, if people want to find out a little bit more about your project, where would they go for that? I think you can come to uh, Neuro or Shake It Up Australia. Um, so uh, there are, um, I think there's a um, an inquiry line both at both um, organisations. Uh, and um, and yeah, I'm sure that uh, whoever's listening to this podcast, can, you know, can even even just look us up on the web and see um, see where, see how to contact us at Neuro um, and um, and Shake It Up Australia, of course. They're, they're um, great organisations to work with, and they um, manage to handle all of the communications. And we love hearing um, uh, about people who've got Parkinson's disease. And we would love to help anybody who would like to join us in this team approach. Well, Professor Carolyn Sue, thank you so much for joining us today. And we wish you all the best for the rest of this project and can't wait to hear an update in the future. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Amy. Really, very thankful for you to helping us um, get this news out there and looking forward to uh, giving you some exciting new developments in the future. I will hold you to that. Sounds wonderful. Thanks very much. Talk soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Shake It Up Australia funds groundbreaking research that aims to slow, stop and cure Parkinson's disease. And they need your help. Throughout April, you can support the Pause for Parkinson's campaign and pledge a donation or participate in fundraising or clinical trials. So to support Shake It Up's vision of a world without Parkinson's, head to shakeitup.org.au forward slash podcast to get involved. Together, we can find a cure.